Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host Alex Thuma and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, uh, Joel Gascoigne, uh, CEO and co-founder of Buffer. Welcome, Joel. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, great to be on here. Good to have you on. Over like five years we've been doing this and uh, you're a hard man to get on the podcast. We have a mutual friend, Andy, as well, who yeah. has been uh, uh, mentioning, I, I, mentioning I, 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 us to each other for a while. Yeah, yeah I, I ask it, Andy, every time I see him. Can you just have a word with Joel and see if we can uh, see if we can uh, uh, you know get him on the show? But no, great, great, great to have you, you on here. Um, and uh, yeah, for those, those that that don't know you, uh, Joel, um, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, who is uh, Joel Gascoigne? Yeah, so I'm the co-founder and CEO of Buffer, and um, Buffer is a social media management platform for small businesses. Um, I've been doing this for almost 10 years now today. Uh, this this year will be the, we'll, we'll kind of take over the 10 year mark with the company. Um, so that's exciting. And uh, yeah, we um, we have a number of different uh, tools within our platform um, for customers to be able to publish to social media, to uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and other places, and then analyze the results of, of what they're doing and kind of create this feedback loop for themselves and uh, and increase their reach and their and their work on their brand online. So um, yeah, that's what we do. And uh, I am a I kind of see myself as a problem solver at heart. Um, I'm, I was I was the technical co-founder, but also love thinking about the business side and um, so kind of gone through the progression of. Uh, of building out the first version of the product to then really focus on the product side to then really just thinking about the company as a whole and the strategy across all areas. Um, so that's been a fun journey. And yeah, on the personal side, I um, I love to get outdoors. Uh, I live in Boulder, Colorado. Um, been here for a couple of years, lived in a lot of different places. Uh, we've, we're a fully remote company as well. So I've been able to, to travel a lot. And uh, right now I'm really enjoying, you know, skiing in the winter, started snowboarding a bit as well in the past season, and then mountain biking, hiking, um, those kinds of things in the summer as well. So there's plenty of that here in Boulder, which is really great. And I think it has uh, helped me, you know, stay sane over the, the last couple of years in a better way than I have in other times where I've been in big cities. Is, is that why you chose Boulder? Because it, just the range of activities, you being an outdoor person, uh, that, that it, it, it sort of fit the bill for you? Yeah, that was a big factor of it. Um, also, my wife had an opportunity to move with her job from New York to Boulder in the same company. So she, that, that made things easy. And we've been thinking about it for um, a year or two at that point already. She'd been in New York for several years, longer than I had been there. But we were both starting to feel like um, and we, you know, we started doing more regular trips upstate New York to go and, you know, hike or, or go kayaking or things like that. And then we start, you know, we go uh, on ski trips to Utah or things like that. And so we just started to realize, oh, we should make that more of our default than being the place that we're going to. Why not? Make, make, make sense. And, and um, uh, 10 years, I mean, con congrats. I, I, I actually didn't know that it had been 10 years of running, running Buffer. So uh, uh, a great achievement there, um, you, you know, in, in itself. And uh, can you share a, a few sort of metrics? Um, you, you know, so you're 10 years in. What is the, what is the size of the company? Um, I, I saw, I don't know, however many months ago that you, you crossed 20 million in ARR. It, it may have even been last year. Um, yes, yeah, some metrics that I guess are all out there on the internet anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, we are um, just over 20 million. Um, we actually re hit reached 20, 22 million and now we've um, dipped down, back down to about 21 right now uh, in the midst of the coronavirus situation. Yeah. Um, so that's where we are in terms of revenue. We're 89 people um, as a company. So um, we're kind of just working our way towards that 100 person uh, mark, which uh, feels very much within sight now. Um, but yeah, we're also, uh, 
but also profitable. Um, that's something that uh, has been the case since about mid 2016. We just made mm -hmm. a decision to operate in a, a sustainable way. So um, we generally average about 200 to 400K in monthly uh, net profit. Um, and so that has allowed us to have a lot of uh, flexibility and freedom. Um, and we, we, we did raise two rounds of funding. Um, I think we might chat about this a bit more later. Um, but uh, we, yeah, we also bought out our most recent round of funding, the, the VC investors, the majority of those investors uh, back in mid-2018. So we've kind of been on a, on a winding journey of figuring out what the exact right path is for us. Um, I want to pick up on um, so one thing that you said, because uh, we, we will talk about some of that stuff sort of uh, uh, later. Uh, and again, thanks for sharing there. But so, so all the guests I've been having on, I guess, since, you, you know, mid-March, you know, we've been asking them, you, you know, uh, around, sort of, you know, coronavirus, sort of COVID-19, what they're seeing, whether it's in marketing sales, sort of leading their company sort of through this. Um, so I've got kind of two questions really uh, for you on this. So. Uh, you as the CEO uh, of Buffer, um, you know, what are you doing? How have you had to adapt to kind of lead, you know, if at all, to, to lead your company through this? Be interested to know that. And you also sort of mentioned there that, you, you know, you were at 22 million um, in ARR, gone back to 21 point uh, something. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and you, you know, so thinking about the, the churn sort of possibilities, again, like with catering for SMBs, and I know I think you do, you, you do some yeah. enterprise as well. But we are seeing and kind of hearing that, you, you know, a lot of SMBs, either because they'll go out of business, which has always been, you know, a risk of why people will, will, will churn. But in a downturn, you know, how does a company, you know, that is catering towards, you know, SMBs look to kind of prevent, you know, the churn? So just be interested in, in, in both of those. Yeah, absolutely. So we have seen quite an impact from COVID-19. Um, and I guess there's a few different aspects of that. Um, Actually, one of the things that I did pretty early on in the in the process was to kind of uh, create three different task forces within the mainly the you know the, in the leadership team and um, to tackle different aspects of what we were seeing. So those are um, the team. How is the team affected, and what can we do for them to get them through this period? Um, and then customers. Uh, what what's what's going on with customers? How are they being impacted here? And how can we help them? And then business was the other aspect, which was how can we make sure that as a company, we get through this um, as unscathed as possible, kind of from a business standpoint, finances, things like that. Um, and I think that has really helped us to move uh, much more rapidly, make uh, faster decisions, but also be bolder in the ways that we could help. Because some of these things were initially felt very challenging because, you know, how can we know how much we could help customers if that's going to you know, have a financial impact on us when we also want to make sure that as a company and for the team, we're doing all we can to, to help, you know, them with job security and everything. So um, separating out into these kind of task forces helps us to um, be bold and move, go far in each direction. So um, one of the things we've done, you know, for customers, um, uh, just to start with them, you, you mentioned, you know, SMB, that's definitely our, we, we really don't have, almost any uh, enterprise you have maybe a handful but we are fully focused on the small business market we have 70,000 paying customers so if you think about that in terms of 20 million in in our um the average uh, revenue per customer is, is pretty low for us and so that's something that as you say we feel all you know in in all times uh, there's kind of this higher level of churn there's businesses that are you know, figuring things out and sometimes failing uh, along the way. And this, I think for us, COVID-19 was this wave of, okay, that's happening all at once for a, a large group of customers. And we've seen that, you know, a portion of our customers, maybe 10 to 20% are physical businesses like hair salons and coffee shops and restaurants and all these kinds of businesses. And so all of those immediately had to close down and um, really struggling or having to adapt their businesses massively, even if, if, if they even could continue on. Um, and so one of the things we put in place pretty quickly was um, what we've called the COVID-19 customer assistance program. And we put aside 
500,000 uh, dollars in to, to help customers in various ways and that's essentially um, doing extended trials for any new new customers that wanted to try out buffer so we're doing 90 day trials for customers that have been impacted that have that need and then for our existing customers we've done a lot for them so um, we created a form for them to get in touch or you know if they were proactively already getting in touch saying that they were struggling um, then we've uh, been waiving payments for three months for customers um, without really very much you know many hoops to get through or anything like that um, allowing people to pause their subscription for a little bit if they need to um, so yeah all of that's been helping them I think a lot and we found you know some customers they've had a huge impact in, in terms of their income but they could still really use a, a tool like buffer for their you know social media marketing and so we that's where we've been you know waiving payments and just trying to help as much as we can we're luckily um, not as impacted overall um, so we can help quite a bit and hopefully that loyalty, you know, that, that will also come back in terms of loyalty and um, those customers will be able to get through the period with a you know tiny bit of help from us, but hopefully in the other ways they're creative and other ways they can get through it and then we'll, you know, still have them as a customer rather than having them churned. But we certainly have seen a much higher level of churn than we normally would. And we've just had to keep an eye on all of that and, and be kind of re-projecting things on almost a, weekly basis and making decisions uh, around the business for the team i think the biggest impact has been around uh, a much higher level of anxiety um lower productivity just struggling and then people in all in very different situations if you have kids that's a much different situation um having to suddenly become the the, the main one in charge of their ed education um is is a huge thing so we've been really trying to keep a pulse on the team and the different ways that different folks are affected and um we've done a number of things we've really relaxed any kind of productivity expectations we've adjusted deadlines um and then one of the things we've also done which we just got started with is for all of may we're doing a four-day work week and the, really the idea around that is that you know there's just this layer of added stress and um we just want to give people a bit more space and so um, that's at full pay with no expectations for them to get as much in four days as they were in five or anything like that. Um, so those are some of the things we've done kind of across the board. And um, yeah, I think it's been working out pretty well so far. The team, I think, especially has been happy with how rapidly, how quickly we've sprung into action to, to put things into place. Yeah. Yeah, no, great stuff, great initiatives there. I think similarly, we're seeing that, you know, uh, as probably all companies, that level of anxiety, uh, you, you know, kind of increase. And given the nature of our business, uh, again, we come into this as an events business, um, you know, events are always quite stressful. Uh, and so yeah. we, have an, we have an upcoming event with the added anxiety, you know, of, of COVID-19, you, you know, kind of on, on top of us, right? And uh, uh, so I, I'm sort of, you know, conscious about that and, and we'll be we'll be doing, um, uh, you know, uh, each month, the team have a three-day kind of weekend, uh, each month actually sort of like, you know, move, moving forward. So we, yeah. we get a bit more time to, you, you know, recharge the batteries uh, over a three-day week, so over a three-day yeah. weekend. Um, That's great, yeah. In terms of events, we have one, we want, the thing we do do is that we have this annual, company retreat because we're fully remote so we all usually get together uh, once a year in a different place each year and so that was one of the first things that we had to do was to uh, to kind of cancel or reschedule that so that was meant to be in July in Athens and uh, so we had to we you know postpone that and uh, we're going to do it virtually I think but probably in um, August or something like that so we're, we're starting to work towards that um, I have a couple of uh, friends who are founders of other kind of remote companies that have already done you know, virtual retreats and so kind of learning from them as well. Yeah, it'd be interesting to get some notes from that, not necessarily from a, well, I guess both from a virtual retreat perspective, but also like uh, I was just talking today after SaaS.remote is done, usually, you know, let's say we'd be in Dublin or something and we would celebrate, you know, after the conference is done and let, let our hair down. 
but here like everybody's going to be stuck at home so just kind of thinking about ways that we can celebrate virtually and we have been doing virtual happy hours you know uh, every week uh, but uh, i've got to think about something different yeah. for, for, for that um yeah. so um wanted to just go a little bit into the past or in fact actually quite back in the past uh, before we we, we we go through the journey yeah. uh, back to back to the present um, and a little bit just about the founding story uh, of, of Buffer. Um, so as you said, like 10 years, well, let's go back to kind of 10 years ago. And mm -hmm. like, how did you come up with the idea? You, you know, why? Tell us a little bit about that, that founding story. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm from the UK originally and uh, I, I, uh, I went to Warwick University um, and since I had graduated from there, I um, kind of knew that I wanted to figure out some kind of startup or, you know, product or project that I could make work. I was uh, working as a freelance or contract web developer. And so I kind of had this fairly flexible and good income, but I, and then I had a lot of friends that kind of became, uh, you know, started running agencies and things like that. But I, I knew that I wanted to figure out a product that I could um, kind of really have this income that was not tied to my time. Um, so that was a key goal of mine early on, um, tried a few different things, uh, that didn't really work out. And then, uh, with buffer, um, it was really came from a, a personal problem that I found myself having. And this was so back in 2009, 2010, um, I was, uh, basically reading articles around, you know, products or startups or different topics. And I was wanting to kind of uh, form a network and learn from others around that. And when I was at university, I, there was an entrepreneurship kind of society and had a lot of really good discussions with people there. But after I left, I'd gone back to my hometown, Sheffield, and um, found out oh, I don't really have this network anymore. So what I did was I started sharing these articles on Twitter and just building up my network on on Twitter and found that to, to work really well. And as soon as it did work, I, I realized oh, I, want, I want to do that more. Um, so this was kind of in the times of like Google Reader, I would be reading, um, you know, blogs on, on there and then sharing blog posts and just kind of that would just drive discussion. And fairly quickly, I found myself not wanting to be sharing the article at the exact time that I was, you know, just finished reading it because I would read, you know, 10 articles in a row and just tweet 10 times. and um, so then I would flood my you know stream for my followers and for myself uh, there would be nothing else I was sharing for the rest of the day. Um, so I thought oh, I just want to space out these tweets, these this content. Um, and so I looked around. There was at the time it was really Hootsuite and TweetDeck that were the key ones that existed, and they had a, a feature to schedule a tweet, but you had to pick the date and then the time you know separately. So it was quite. A, a process um and so it was really significantly harder to schedule something than it was to just tweet it normally um so i thought well what if you know what if you'd chosen a schedule in advance and you just say i want to i want to tweet three times a day or four times a day and you kind of end up with this queue uh, of content that you can just like throw the content into that queue and, and then it's taken care of um so that was really the initial idea that i had was um this concept of the pre-scheduled time slots and the queue and um, making it as easy to tweet in a schedule as it is to just do a live uh, real-time tweet. Um, so yeah, that was kind of uh, the first idea and uh, build that out. Um, I learned a lot from previous uh, failures in terms of just kind of getting out that whole idea of getting out of the building and talking to customers. I had not done that very well. I had just built what I thought I needed and so this time around, I decided to really kind of test the idea um, out in a better way. So that's really where like the lean startup concepts I really I'd come across at that time as well and started and just really leaned into them. So had a landing page without the product existing just to learn about the interest in it. Um, and all of that went really well and kind of went from having the idea to launching the first really minimal version of the product in about it was uh, seven weeks. And then launched it and had a friend that paid for it on the first day that I kind of discarded of like, okay, that doesn't fully count. And then, but luckily on the third day, I had the first paying customer that I didn't know who it was. Um, and then we kind of like were, you know, off on, on our way. <clears throat> and then 
um, uh, about two months later, um, my co-founder Leo joined me and we've been in touch. We actually met at Warwick University. Um, and we've been in touch for a while. We'd had different ideas and tried to help each other out. And it didn't make sense before that point to kind of work together on something. Um, but he got in touch and said, oh, how's it going? And I said, well, I've got this new thing that actually seems like it's starting to, to work out. Um, it was very early days at that point. First month revenue was $20 in total. Um, so, but yeah, then he just kind of uh, was excited to, to chip in and volunteer and, and um, he really got going on the marketing side. And so he kind of really built out the whole like content marketing engine and uh, for, for our growth. And uh, over the course of the next year, we really grew quite substantially. And so that's what then allowed us to kind of travel to um, San Francisco in the summer of 2011 um, after we'd started. And we um, had some ups and downs with getting kind of initial funding, but we decided that it made sense to do that. And we eventually got into the AngelPad accelerator um, which we went through and then kind of finished at the end of 2011 and raised our seed round at, at the end of that. Um, so that's kind of really how we, we, we got things off the ground. So uh, would you say content marketing was the main channel for you to you know, create that awareness in the, the initial days? Uh, I mean, certainly I, I, I remember, I mean, when I started Sascribe, the blog, which kind of preceded Sasdoc, you know, everybody, like, including myself, was, you know, reading buffer content right and you, you guys have always been doing a yeah. great, great job there so w w was that the the main kind of focus and driver yeah that was the primary kind of engine of growth i would i would say and it started out um you know i think a lot of people know about the buffer blog now and like our content on there um actually really started out with guest uh, articles on other blogs and um, because we realized we didn't have really an audience of our own so that was i think one of the key things that Leo figured out early on is, oh, we, we, you know, this is a way to get in. And it was really about genuinely trying to write really high quality content that we could offer to an, an, a blog that already had an existing like sizable audience. Um, but then we, you know, had the, the author line and, and links and things back to our own blog. And that's how we actually started to build out our own blog. And then eventually we had enough kind of audience and traffic to, to really stand by ourselves. And I think the other key aspect was word of mouth. Um, I think when you are working with small businesses, that's a huge uh, potential growth engine as well. So it was really, I think, focusing on the quality of the product and really responsive and really on point customer service as well. And then this great content. And I think those were kind of the three things that really drove uh, you know our rapid and, and i think freemium as well was was absolutely key to us because we just increased so we were a very low price point and had the free plan um initially and that was what really got us growing fast so you always had free the free plan you, you still have that today we do we still have it today it's been a little bit of a interesting journey of figuring out how i think you know i think a lot of things have evolved over the years especially in social media and with the platforms that we're, you know, we're on top of Facebook and Twitter and things. So that's been an interesting journey, but um, we still do have it. It's a bit more hidden away. Um, but I think it's, it's been, it has been historically uh, a really key part of our growth. And I think one of the interesting things is that, and you know, this is where in some ways buying out our investors is, is a powerful move we made because I think um, freemium for us, created this huge reach for so I think it was in some ways a really a powerful brand play with and you know, I think people know Buffer like far more than they maybe should and I think it's the premium but combined with our transparency um, that we've shared a lot of uh, of our internal workings and numbers and things like that um, has probably given us like this outsized brand and reach um, for like the size of company that we actually are. Um, so yeah, it's a key element. Um, we kind of have to keep keep uh, evolving and figuring out what, whether it still makes full sense, but yeah. Yeah, so, so speaking of uh, transparency, then uh, as you said, this is something that people really know Buffer um, you know, very well for, right? Um, mm -hmm. It's one of your values uh, as a company, uh, I believe, and yeah. the default to transparency and you have a transparency dashboard. Like how, did you come like 
what was that there from year one? Uh, and like, so, so why, uh, I guess, why did you choose to, to do this and become, I guess, this yeah. almost sort of like radically transparent, uh, you know, business? Yeah, um, it was always there. Um, although it wasn't until a couple of years in that we actually uh, tried to, you know, really articulate our values and put them into words. And I think that's when we set it down as a value. And then we also phrased it as default to transparency, not just transparency, which I think anyone could feel is a you know, good thing. And that I yeah. think catapulted us to then examining, you know, almost everything across the business and saying, could this be transparent? Um, and if it's not, then is there a really good reason why it's not? Um, <clears throat> but even in the first year, I recall, you know, had many discussions with Leo uh, talking about transparency and I think we just, we kept pushing ourselves and pushing each other and questioning, you know, why, why wouldn't we do that? Or why is it seen as a, you know, a risk or a bad thing to do that? So I know um, we started sharing our kind of user, like sign up numbers, our revenues, in, in those, in, in the first couple of years. Um, so we just, every, every milestone we'd hit, we, we kind of share, uh, the next number. And I think, you know, one of the things that I remember is, um, well, I actually had a experience, uh, before Buffer. Um, the only job I really had was one that I did part-time, a very small company. It was about 15 people and, uh, they eventually went out of business and I was kind of there throughout that process and i and i just remember that no one probably three people out of the 15 knew the true situation of the company and how how kind of bad it had got and i i, remember, I think that definitely had a big impact um uh, for me and and i just found myself thinking that that didn't help anyone for, for people to not know the the financial situation of the company we could all rallied together to really try and make it, you know, get, get through that period. So, um, that was one thing. Another thing was, I, I remember whenever I'd meet with founders in the first year or two of Buffer, um, I, you know, meet, meet with people, you know, get coffee and try and learn, you know, exchange experiences and learn from each other. So why, uh, why did you build Buffer as a remote organization? And, uh, I guess then what have been the pros and cons and your kind of learnings uh, from that? So early on, we kind of became remote accidentally. So we, um, we started in the UK, um, Leo and I, and then we both went to San Francisco, went through the accelerator program there and raised the funding. And then throughout that process, we were, we were in the US without visas. Um, and we started the process trying to get visas. And then we, um, unfortunately we, there was, there was like a cap on the amount of visas that they have each year. And so we, the timing was just not good. And we, we missed the, 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 the cap became, got reached right when we were in the process of applying for the visas. And so that we were kind of like late in the year in 2011. And after the caps reached, you can't even apply again until April the next year. And then even if you get the visa, which you, you know, you only have a certain chance of, then you can't be in the US on the visa until October of, of that year. So we knew we basically had a whole year that we wouldn't be able to be in the US. And so we found ourselves, and by that, that point, there were, there were three of us. So Tom joined, joined us as well. And um, we were living together in San Francisco in this uh, apartment together. And um, we, I remember we sat down and we actually just opened up Google Maps and said, oh, where do we want to go? Um, and Tom's from the UK as well. So Leo's from Austria, but he studied in the UK. And so we were all just feeling like, well, we can't stay in the US, don't really want to go back to the UK. So where should we go? And we just end up deciding, picking somewhere. And we picked uh, Hong Kong. We decided to go to Hong Kong for six months. And then we ended up in uh, Tel Aviv in Israel for uh, three months after that and we kind of just filled that year um, with different places and just enjoyed the traveling and working on it and um, we were very productive during that time we were just really had a lot to focus on um, but we also started growing the team during that time and the first 
few people that joined really came from kind of personal networks. And so remember we had, um, it was really a couple of people in uh, the UK and then we had a couple of people that we found that joined us who were in the US. Um, and so before we knew it, we were kind of spread all over. Um, and it happened somewhat accidentally, but uh, there came a point when I realized I'm gonna have to make a real decision here um, on which way I, I go with this. So I just kind of just sat down and thought about the different pros and cons. And um, there was almost no companies that were remote at that time. Um, but I, one of the things that really was actually a big factor um, was when for, for customer service, um, we were able to, yeah, even as a 10 person company, we, had, we were able to have three people in the team doing customer service and uh, spread a, one in the US, one in the UK and one in Australia. And we had this 24 seven uh, time coverage. And I, I just remember feeling, especially being in Hong Kong made me realize this is why should, if we have a customer in Hong Kong, why should they have a significantly worse customer service experience than some a customer we have in the US or the UK if we were to be based in one of those places. Um, and then I think beyond that, it was really the, 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 the sense of freedom and the fun that we had by traveling and building the, the company from those different places. And I felt like, you know, a lot of people start companies because they want more freedom than they had when they were working for somebody else. Um, and so that was a key factor, but I think that is something that founders often kind of like lose along the way, especially when you raise a lot of funding and end up not being in control of, of some of those types of decisions as well. Um, so this was really the, the early decision. And I think enough of that came together for me to, I remember actually sending an email out to the team at that point was small, but kind of just setting down, we are going to be a, a remote company going forwards. And um, we actually had to start hiring um, deliberately. At that point, we'd, we'd done the travels, we'd actually gone back to San Francisco and more and more of the team were interested in being in San Francisco just to see what that was like. Um, and so once we made that decision, we had to actually deliberately hire kind of outside of San Francisco to, to make sure that we were fully kind of remote and spread out and didn't have like a concentration and like a bias towards one place. Do you think there's going to be a, a remote revolution now um, in terms obviously what's happening with, uh, with COVID yeah. and forced to, uh, to work from home? I think, I think there is, I mean, there, I mean, certainly there is a remote re revolution right now. Right. So that's mm. just, uh, there's, there's no choice about it really. Um, I think that there's probably going to be, mixed results. Uh, I think um, the thing that I, I find is interesting and a bit of a struggle is just that um, it's hard for companies to assess the the benefits, the productivity benefits they could get because we're a remote company and we're less productive right now in this, in this situation of COVID-19. So I think um, I have a feeling that it could go either way and some companies could be productive during this time as long as they recognize how you know there's, there's this layer of anxiety and stress and the, the COVID side of things, um, but then I think there's probably you know a lot of other companies that probably might be just eager to get back to the levels of productivity that they want or need, and they'll just kind of push things back to the office. But I think this has really been something that's it's just pushed things forward. I think companies and there's a level of resilience and flexibility that comes from being remote that's been very apparent to, to companies right now. So I do think that it's, it's, I mean, I think there's already been a clear arc towards that becoming more and more of a, of the norm and, and of a default. And I think this is like pushed it forward significantly. So I think that journey is just going to continue now. Um, it's really interesting for us because I think we were, I can remember when we were in just a handful of, I could almost count, 10 companies that were doing remote work and, and now it's just, it's, it's so widespread. Yeah. 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 No, it'd be, be interesting to see how it goes. And you raise good points there just around, as you say, the, the productivity, uh, thinking about so like some companies, you, you know, they'll, they'll have a lot of employees who, you know, have families and some that don't, and maybe the one like, uh, for instance, like we've got quite a young team, 
Um, I think I'm the only one with kids. Um, and, and so I think, you know, some, what I'm seeing is actually you know, maybe maintained levels of productivity. But if, yeah. everybody, if everybody had families, you know, and, and, uh, then that would be a kind of a, a yeah. different situation, right? So it'd be a tricky one. Yeah. The other thing is that I think um, to be productive and efficient uh, remotely takes a whole different set of tools and skills and everything. And we've spent years kind of adapting and crafting that toolkit for ourselves as a company. And, and now businesses have a force to immediately within a, a week or two um, figure out that setup for themselves. And I think that's going to result in some, a lot of broken workflows and situations yeah. and, you know, things like, Oh, we should be tracking how much time our employees are, are working now and things like that, which is kind of the, the anti-pattern, I think yeah. of, of remote. Um, so the, I think there's a lot of that that's going to, be happening as well. Um, obviously, we, we, we've spoken, or you've spoken, um, you know, quite a bit about uh, in the, you know the the early days, your, your co-founders and uh, you know Leo kind of only marketing, and uh, we know, um, uh, uh, well certainly I do, and it's been written about that uh, both Leo and Tom, um, you know, so left the left the business. I guess in that uh, it, they still remain co-founders, but just no longer kind of active uh, within yeah. within the business, but not necessarily sort of interested in the why because you, you you've written about that but now um you know you're the only active co-founder within the business so how has that been for you in terms of when you have co-founders you share the burden now did it just yeah. all of a sudden overnight become you're the only one with the burden or do you still share the burden or like how how, how is that how has that worked uh, since then what have you yeah. done uh, to kind of help help you through that sort of period yeah um yeah i know it, it was very much kind of overnight um all the burden falls on onto me um i think um well you know when leo left it was quite a clear like full exit from from the company um and so that has been a really interesting journey it's uh, you know it's three there's been three full years uh since then now and so i think i've I've been finding my way. Um, I think initially, the interesting thing is when you have a co-founder, you have this other person that's really very much of that kind of peer level to you, that you're just bouncing everything off and making decisions together. And suddenly with that gone, I think the first mistake I made was leaning like almost too much on the rest of the leadership team for all of those decisions that I would make. So I've had to learn to be a lot more independent um, and making my own decisions. Um, but that's really hard as well because, you know, having someone else to be a sounding board can help you really make decisions much more quickly, feel bold about them. Um, and so I, that was a piece that I felt I was missing. And then over time, I found ways to kind of work on myself. Um, but also, uh, I've, I now have uh, an executive coach that I work with that I've been working with almost a year now and that's been really powerful i also um i actually started working with a, a therapist in 2017 so that was kind of maybe the first step of that in some ways and that just helped me have someone else to talk about um beyond like my uh wife or you know girlfriend at the time um and so i think these are you know different you kind of got to create this support system around yourself and that's what i've started to see it as is like oh there's almost this team that i need to create around myself as more of a, a solo uh, kind of founder now um and then the other key component i would say is having a strong network of of other founders and and executives that you're in touch with regularly and even trying to have you know some of them become really good friends and i'm lucky to have and that's one been one of the interesting things is that I think, you know, the after uh, Leo leaving, I have these these different things I've mentioned I have much more strongly than I ever did um, when we were working together. Um, even to the extent I would say of, you know, there's some things that you even shouldn't just like lean on a co-founder for, like having a a coach as when you're working actively with a co-founder, it would be you know immensely valuable and probably could have helped uh, us a lot at the time. Um, so yeah, I think th those are the key aspects that I found. Um, and I think it's really taken a few years and I think only just in the last maybe 
six months or a year, I felt like it's really come together and I've figured, figured out, you know, what, what, how I need to structure things to, to thrive. Having um, sort of touched on there, I, I guess kind of, well, having the, um, this sort of surrounding group with, of peers, coaches, therapists, uh, this certainly, I guess, what helps, helps you, helps businesses um, uh, with certain questions uh, that, 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 that you have, uh, but also around like the mental health, I think kind of the side of yeah. things. Uh, not all coaches help around mental health, some do, but certainly the therapists uh, uh, would as well. Yeah. Um, so just thinking about um, like uh, a lot of like founders, you know, they suffer from burnout at, at some point, you know, in time, not all, but some. Uh, have you ever uh, sort of experienced that and suffered that? Um, and uh, also, what do you do? Uh, obviously, you've got the therapist in place, but, you know, what do you do to look after yourself, after your body and mind to, I guess, kind of ensure that it, it you know, as best you can, that it doesn't happen? Yeah, um, I, I have experienced burnout. Uh, maybe I'll just quickly describe kind of how how that, uh, how that I got there, and, and then I can share a little bit of the things that I've put in place since then and, and try to focus on. Um, so actually kind of going back to, um, 2015, 2016 time. So, um, my co-founder Leo, he, he left at the beginning of 2017, but there was kind of this run-up period that we had, um, which got increasingly more challenging. And so we were finding ourselves on, you know, and having different, uh, different vision, different ideas for where the, where, where we should be taking the company. Um, and that was you know, 2015, certainly 2016, we were having a lot of conversations. And historically, we had really done, a, I think, a great job of communication. We'd gone, you know, really try to cut through things and get deep and get on the same page. And I think in our best times of, of, of growth of the company was when we were rock solid and really super aligned. Um, and I think over time, we found that, you know, we'd been working together long enough. We'd um, seen enough of the kind of the, the journey so far of the company and the successes and things that um, we started to have differing views. Um, and, you know, we even met in person a couple of times um, with a couple of other people from the leadership team to help us like mediate and go deep on things. Um, so we were working through that um, throughout 2016. And then we um, also made a, a few errors in, during that time when we, so we actually had um, financial challenges in the middle of 2016 and we had to do a round of, of layoffs so we let go of 10 people um, in the middle of uh, 2016 we were 94 people at the time and so we went that down to 84 um, and that was just a really hard thing to to go through and we were you know there was this underlying kind of misalignment already there um, that kind of brought us together in that moment because we had this challenge this crisis we needed to get through as a company um, but it, you know, it, it, once that subsided, we still had these underlying issues. Um, and then, uh, so we kind of kept working through it. And then beginning of 2017, that's when uh, we kind of mutually agreed and he, he decided to move on. Um, our CTO at the time also decided to leave at the same time. And really at that time, we kind of saw the leadership team as the company as, as this, this group of four of us. Um, so Leo and then the CTO, Sunil, and then Carolyn, who is still um, with the company. And, and that's been really great. Um, but it's kind of having half of that team leave um, was this huge kind of jolt to the, to the company, to the system. Um, so I'm, I immediately sprung into action again. There's kind of this crisis uh, mode that kicks in and you have this adrenaline and you have to feel like, oh, I've got to get the company through this. So I remember distinctly, for example, I spoke with every single person in the company um, on an individual video call one-on-one -on -one, um, at that time when uh, Leo left. And just to explain you know, how that had all come about. And, and um, I think part of it for me was wondering, you know, uh, how many people in the company might be more aligned with kind of his path. And would I, would there be some kind of exodus um that was quite worrying to me but um luckily that wasn't the case and there wasn't a single person that left specifically um around that which i felt as a kind of a great achievement and then a few months after that is when the burnout like really hit me um, and i think when that crisis and the adrenaline subsided and you know leo had left and i was kind of more on my own 
and it really it really hit me hard and I, I just remember feeling this kind of this you know almost depression as well and just feeling quite alone but also um I like lost my passion for I knew that I was I cared deeply about the company but I just didn't have anything left and I and I felt very um kind of just uh just struggled to have any energy i would be exhausted uh, within a couple of hours of, of working on things and um i know i was also just generally a lot more pessimistic um than i normally would be um and uh and even like you know just emotional i think small things like things could set me off and make me kind of well up and and get teary and things so um that was really quite scary and i I kind of worked with it for a couple of weeks and then I, I realized like I was going to have to do something bigger to, to figure it out and um, recover from it. So I actually spoke with a few people in the leadership team and then decided to kind of go on a, on a indefinite leave almost. And so um, I, you know, made a few quick decisions about um, delegating my responsibilities. And then I, I wrote something up to the whole company um, saying I'm just going to, you know, I'm feeling burned out. I was very open about it and I'm going to take some time off and get back to a good place. Um, and I ended up being, I think I was off for about six weeks in the end. Um, didn't really set down a time frame in advance, um, but I needed about that long. And uh, yeah, it changed everything. Um, and uh, I've, And I think ever since then, I've just been... I think there's been this new awareness of, and even in during COVID, I, I've I felt this in the, the first two three weeks. I had this almost this energy. I felt like optimistic, and um, and what, you know, it's an awful situation going on. But I felt like I had this adrenaline that kicked in that helps me be much more nimble and think clearly. And and that's what it is. It's adrenaline, but then it eventually, you know, kind of uh, fades away, and then. But your your body has been and your mind has been taking on that toll during that time, even though it's been masked by the adrenaline. So I think that's the key thing that I've learned from there is that I have to make sure that I take care of myself, especially after that adrenaline kind of goes wears, you know, goes off. Um, so yeah, I think I generally now I just really and you know, I think at that point it was, you know, seven years in and now kind of coming up to ten years in, I I have no desire to push myself to the limit to in order to, you know, like a short term approaches just don't make sense at all anymore. So I've been much better about taking, you know, regular time off and really having proper vacations. And um, the, these four day work weeks we're doing in May has been great. I was already doing throughout all of April. I did Wednesday afternoons off. Um, we we're just kind of go for a hike or something. And so um, yeah, I'm in a much better place now. I kind of I doubt that I'll ever get to a situation like that unless there's some kind of extenuating circumstance that really gets me into a tough spot. Awesome. And, and as a fi- final question, as uh, I think we, we're coming up to to time, but so through the ten years uh, that you, you've been running the company, and, and now you, you know you've you've got to uh, you know 22 million, or just you know just now just under 22 million. I'm, mm-hmm. What, what is, have you thought about, you know, what is the, what is the plan the next five sort of 10 years, you, you know, do you, you, do you still want to be CEO of Buffer in 10 years time? Do you want to get to hundred million in, in revenue? Uh, you, you know, do you want to sell? What, 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 what are your, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, I, I know I want to do this for a really long time. So I've, um, I've thought a lot about, and I've talked about doing this for, another decade and, and beyond. So um, really, I think what excites me is thinking about ways to set the company up for that long-term trajectory and to thrive um, during that time. And I personally want to still be running it um, in 10 years. Um, and maybe that ends up not being you know the right thing and I'm open to that. But I think ultimately, I'm really excited about trying to create a much longer lasting company. I think there's um, a lot of companies in this industry that kind of spill and flip and then move on and try the next thing and the next thing. And I think um, over time, I've realized that there's really a big difference between building a product and, and building a company and, and a company that actually has great 
you know, financial discipline and underlying, you know, sustainability. I think, I, I it, you know, a lot of companies that raise rounds and rounds of funding, and I think sometimes I'll, you know, if I was to ask them, well, how do you plan to, like, pay that back or give a return or, like, what's the plan there? Like, I think there isn't really a plan. It's just, you know, we'll, pop, we'll try and sell at some point or go public. And it's really this big gamble. And I think... So that concept of like, what is the cost of the capital has become something that I've thought much more deeply about. And we've gone through the process of buying out our, some of our investors. And so that really puts, it makes it suddenly very tangible, the cost of that capital. We gave our investors a return on it and we, you know, bought them, bought those shares back. So it came from us being profitable and um, creating a company in that way. So I think it's easy to end down a path where the only option is that you will have to sell at some point, but that I think is kind of a unfortunate situation because it also means that generally it means that what you've created has to end as well. And I think I'm much more excited about a long-term evolving journey of figuring out and going through many market changes and, you know, recessions and good times and bad times and, I think that is really exciting for me and also to try to create the company that is resilient and is is on that journey as well. We've got a lot of people in the company that have now been part of Buffer for six years, seven years, even more in some cases. And um, so, yeah, that loyalty is really, I think, amazing to see. And so, yeah, that's my, that's my plan right now. I think I, I would like Buffer to keep growing in terms of revenue and the number of people, but more just so there's more people can experience what we're doing and you know the experiments we make and the ways we try and create a great you know life and working uh, environment for ourselves um i think i want to strive for organic and natural growth i have ambitions but i also uh, don't want to kind of force growth um i want to just like you know ride that and 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 see healthy growth over time Awesome. Well, well, Joel, um, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. It's been worth the uh, the, the five year wait or four year wait, um, and and I'm sure our, our audience, um, you, you know, will, will share that feedback as well. We'd like really appreciate you uh, just staying true to yourself, being open and honest, and sharing uh, all those lessons. So that, that's a uh, well, I would say you know quite a rare thing, uh, you know, that we that we have. So really, really appreciate that. So thank you, uh, Joel Gascoigne, CEO, co-founder of Buffer. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, really appreciate it. Um, been some great questions here and just good discussion. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaS Doc conferences around the world.